With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Source America elevates what it means to buy products and services. Your contract creates jobs for people with disabilities right here in the U.S. At Source America, you can look forward to exceptional customer service grounded in contract expertise and specific industry knowledge. You'll get the products and services you need when you need them at a competitive price. Source America offers business solutions you'll feel good about. Learn more at SourceAmerica.org. Source America is an authorized Ability One enterprise. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, oh, it, it, when you guys hear this, uh, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, indeed. We're recording a day early because I, I wanted to actually be able to celebrate a little bit with my wife. Uh, that's fair, I guess. Can, uh, can't pumping, really... pumping very important things like our podcast <laughs> schedule for, you know, your marriage. I, I guess I'll slide yeah, th- just this time. Usually at a... Sometimes the marriage takes a backseat to content, and uh, I felt like this was one time it shouldn't. I'm, I'm married probably, to the probably block. Right. <laughs> yeah. When Syracuse is like 9-3 and three in the ACC, then we can, you know, start to start to move around our actual lives here. That's true. Um, so, yeah. Dan, Syracuse has won two straight. That's, uh, that's pretty good. They made it horrifying this weekend, however. That was not good. Yeah, we spent, like, what, three quarters of the day being like, how do we lose this Wake Forest team the first time? And then, and then we suddenly, spent the last, like, quarter of the day being like, uh, oh, yes. right. <laughs> uh, this. I remember. <laughs> it was funny, actually, because, like, Jim Beheim had that comment after where it was like, oh, like, I'd never seen somebody go, like, 9 of 10 from 3, or was it, like, 6 straight or whatever? And, like, I wanted to point directly to the, uh, the NC State game with John Gillen last year when he hit 9 of 10 threes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's, I, I assume Beheim meant, like, against, our, or against yeah. us, but, like, there have certainly been games that, that feel that way, if not, like, exactly that. But that was nuts. I mean, it, it was nuts that it happened, and it was also nuts that Syracuse, like, didn't surrender the lead because they were just playing well enough offensively, uh, which was nice. But, man, like, if we could not do that again, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll take any opportunity to not do that ever again just because there's no guarantee we're going to be able to hit those shots against better opponents. Um, obviously, Wake is not as terrible as their record indicates. And I'm honestly surprised they've been able to be, like, this bad from a win-loss perspective. Because I don't really think they're much worse than last year. I mean, obviously, you know, you you, you lose NBA-quality talent, sure. But I still think there's a really good collection of players on that roster, which also kind of speaks to just how deep the ACC is, which, you know, you and I kind of talked about in preseason. And has really lived itself out this year, albeit much differently than we probably expected. Yeah, I actually thought, you know, sometimes Bayheim goes a little over the top and top many opponents who almost beat us or do beat us. Um, I actually thought he was pretty spot on with the whole, like, Wake is is a pretty good offensive team. Um, I mean, Wilbekin and Crawford are a pretty good backcourt. I know Wilbekin didn't start this team. But, like, they have some talent. They're just, defensively, they're just not good. Like, they are a bad defensive team, as uh, as evidenced by the fact that we shot, you know, 40 cents from the field and 50% from three against them. That shouldn't be happening for anyone this year against us, as we are very offensively challenged. Um, 
And uh, I really loved, on our end, how uh, mostly Battle, but also a little bit of Howard and Brissette, um, just decided to, like, cut the pretense and just go right at their defense every time. Um, it wasn't like, you know, our, our system numbers actually were up uh, because uh, Howard had nine. Uh, so we had 15 for the game, which is pretty good for us. Um, but overall, like, this was one game where our, you know, kind of one-on-one uh you know, take the ball to the hoop style of offense uh, really benefited because their defense, their guards did not stay in front of Tyus Battle at all. And he had a probably his best overall offensive game of the season. Well, yeah, I mean, it was efficient. I think he was able to be physical. He was able to go to the paint. I, I, I do think that, like, no, you're not always going to be able to play like we did against Wake. Um, from a one-on-one perspective, obviously driving the lane perspective, you're not going to be able to do that against Virginia. Um, but I did feel like against Virginia, we almost did play a little too far into... Um, their style of play we really I mean sure they were cutting things off defensively but when you look back at that game SU really wasn't trying to challenge them and the times they did actually challenge them they made it like they were able to penetrate the defense Um, it's kind of tougher when you are so short-staffed in terms of you know available players things like that but overall like I, I think that the more SU can drive the lane the more they can draw fouls this isn't an amazing foul shooting team and obviously you don't want to see you know, stuff like Frank missing as many as he did um, late. But at the same time, like, I think driving the lane as much as you can, trying to draw some contact, um, and, and, and utilizing what is some pretty great cutting ability from battle, those just seem like, you know, easy wins and ways to, to, to boost the, uh, the lack of scoring output we've seen from SU this year. Yeah, it, it was definitely one of the more uh, impressive displays of actually, like, recognizing what was working and going to it and not letting up. Um, like compared to uh, what we watched Louisville fail to do against us last week after, you know, that stretch where they couldn't stop storing. Um, Syracuse, like the entire game, just knew, take the ball to the basket. Um, it'll open up some threes. And obviously, we, you know, I think we were, we've we talked about the a, num- a number of threes we have to see this team shoot. If we're hitting, if we're taking 12, we're hitting sits. Like that is right in our wheelhouse. We should not be taking that many more than like the 12 to 15 range. And if we're hitting between 40 and 50%, I think we're going to be in most of those games. Um, so overall, offensively, I don't have a lot to complain uh, about. Um, you know, it's the one thing I can complain about. Uh, Frank Howard needs to hit his free throws, four for ten, and some of those. I think we, as a, as a team, missed five in a row down the stretch at one point, yeah. um, which uh, obviously wasn't like the only problem since Wake literally wouldn't stop hitting threes, but um, probably would have made this a little less uh, dramatic down the stretch. But um, aside from that, uh, offensively, a lot to be happy about. Defensively. Like, it's easy to get on the defense, um, but Wake was hitting shots that were, like, contested. <laughs> like, yeah. Wake, was, Wake was was just drilling shots, and, like, uh, you know, you can only do so much. Like, uh, sometimes the ball's in a fall. It was the same shit that, like, I've talked about, like, against Virginia and against, like, Louisville and some other opponents. Like, you know what? Like, you have to kind of pick your battles. Like, I'm not, to be honest, like, I, I the contested stuff, like, if they're contested threes, like, you did your job. They're just, it just, it was meant to be. Um, but I think like you look at this game a little bit differently than like, again, like those Virginia game or the Louisville game. Like if you're going to hit from the parking lot, like I still don't endorse trying to, to spread this zone out five feet past the three point line. Like if you're going to hit those shots event, they're not going to fall forever. Like unless you're Steph Curry, they're not going to fall like for a full game. So, you know, why bother overextending your defense? I'll let them take that shot every time because there's very few players are going to be able to hit it consistently. Um, Wake might have been a team that was able to hit it consistently 
um, you know, over the weekend, but you know, more often than not, especially at the college level, like you're just not going to see that, that amount of efficiency, uh, from like super deep. So I'm, I'm not as worried about the overall three point defense after, or after that's showing, um, then, you know, some others might've been, and I know Bayheim seemed to be in game. Yeah. And again, you have to, I, I think you take these things in terms of like what they look like for, from a long stretch. And we know this defense has been good all year. That doesn't mean that it's not going to have moments where it's scary and, and teams are hitting shots. That's kind of the thing with Syracuse zone. But overall, I think you take what you get with it and the offense, like it's nice that we've scored 78 points in two straight games. Um, I'm not ready to like get off of the worry wagon in terms of the offense, but you know, hopefully this trend upwards continues overall. I, I feel um, I feel very happy that we won these two games. I think we really needed to. Um, but I think the the general consensus of what this team is kind of remains through these two games. Um, it's just that we're still like kind of in the hunt here. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. And I think uh, that's a good segue for uh, what I wanted to talk about next. Um, if you were a Syracuse fan that's on Twitter, you might have noticed on Tuesday uh, you woke up to the pleasant sight of seeing Mike Waters uh, – drag some really lazy opinions um, about Syracuse, um, in particular from one Brad Evans uh, from Yahoo. But in general, like, just a really nice job of, like, not being a dick about it and just spelling out facts. And uh, I know uh, I know Brad seemed to... His, his, his refrain to everyone seemed to be facts or facts. But, uh, but Mike kept meeting him with better facts um, and ones that refuted his definitely lazy kind of... 10 years outdated points about Syracuse basketball. Who knew that Brad Evans did stuff that wasn't fantasy football? <laughs> uh, he might never again. I literally didn't know that. I, I looked, I'm like, wait, is that the fantasy football guy? And I only know him because if you like play fantasy football on Yahoo, his like little videos pop up every so often. I've never actually like engaged with his content in any meaningful, meaningful way before. And I don't think I will be going forward because man, that was like some really C list, C grade, like, you know, Syracuse doesn't schedule anyone nonsense from like 2010. Yeah, even Gottlieb doesn't try schedule. that shit anymore. Yeah. A, it's not our fault that UConn and Georgetown are t- total hot garbage this year. And B, like our state of the schedule is fine. <laughs> we actually yeah, have some good. pretty quality, yeah, mid-major opponents. Buffalo and St. Bonaventure, both very solid mid-major opponents. Um, so just, yeah, weird, a weird, like, I'm not surprised that people are doing it. I'm surprised that someone who... Uh, is trying to, like, analyze something is doing it at this point. I don't know if I should be, but uh, it was just strange to hear that. When Syracuse, it, my favorite part was, like, if you looked in the replies, it, Syracuse fans weren't be like, no, we're definitely a tournament team. We're like, we might not be a tournament team, but this is not why. Like, we're right. not if we're not a tournament team, it says we're not very good. And not that our strength of schedule is weak. <laughs> like, what, if we had scheduled, uh, you know, a couple more SEC teams, we'd be any better? No, we'd probably have another loss, and we'd be in the same spot. Exactly. Like, it's just a quick... And that, I think that's always been why Syracuse fans are always so quick on the trigger because it, it's it's rarely you don't see the same you don't see the same people responding to the late to the criticisms by those who have like if Jay Billis the times that he does criticize us there's usually a reason behind it there's other analysts the same thing like where you see there's there's details and there's reasons and and they're probably the same ones that we pointed out too like when you see something like this where it's just that lazy BS like. And you see it from all like the kind of college basketball hot take artists, so it's weird that you know a non-college basketball person would then take them on. Um, you, you see those SU fans come in because I think a lot of SU fans are pretty realistic about this team on a year-to-year basis. There's always going to be your fringe that you know say this team sucks, uh, go band to man, 
or on the other extreme, this team going to the Final Four, um, like they just got screwed by the refs. Like there's a balance in the middle. I think that's most of the fan base. Um, and, And for some reason, there's a lot of people that have allowed the extremes to kind of color their opinion of it and then they use that as ammo to to just say dumb things that they know are going to get clicks yeah it's it's important it's like just so lazy and there are so many like actual criticisms to make of the syracuse team we make them pretty much every week um i i think you can like very easily argue that syracuse is not a tournament team and probably be right based on like the current situation the start of the schedule is just like that's such an easy dumb thing to point to and like go literally go look at like almost any straight of the schedule for a similar team and right. you're not going to find a huge difference like, like you're or even if you want to go it's just so dumb if you want to go like advanced stats look at ken palm right now su and virginia are right next to each other in non-conference literally literally like right next to each other in terms of non-conference strength of schedule like you can't sit here and like if you're that person you can't sit here and tell me you know that su schedules poorly but then also praise virginia or, or not take virginia to task for the same thing Right, and no one does because Virginia just doesn't have that weird like stigma around them, and then for you know for a fair reason, like it's not like anyone scheduling these ridiculous non conferences unless they're small schools that need to do it to try to uh, build up like you know you you have those schools that like end up with like fifteen wins, and then you look and they have this stretch where they play like four giant powers in a row. Um, those schools happen, but like for power conference teams, no home games are too valuable. Like, especially if you're selling out your arena or you're coming close or you're, you know, in a Syracuse situation where you're going to put in, like, 15,000 people minimum a night, like, just having those home games is too valuable. So you're not going to sacrifice it for, like, a road game at, you know, San Diego State. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So it's just dumb. And if you have any idea of how uh, college basketball works on both, like, a a level in terms of just general scheduling and then you take into uh, account the context of, what Syracuse deals with as an athletic department in terms of what the football program is and what the basketball program is. Like there's a, it's just so stupid to criticize how SU schedules, um, especially because I don't think any of these tournament misses re- in recent years, uh, definitely not the one that we were uh, not allowed to play in. And then last year's was because we couldn't win a road team to save our lives. So it wasn't because we didn't have enough good non-conference teams. So it's just a, it's just a dumb criticism when non-conference scheduling has literally never cost us a tournament bid uh, not never. Had well, not cost us no, a even, o- even 06, 07, it didn't. Like, I mean, last year, all we had to do was just get our shit done. In 06, 07, if we just picked up one more quality win, like home or away, like, then we would have been in. Like, th- yeah, you're, you're completely right that that criticism is just so incredibly lazy and it's just so dated at this point. Um, I know. Uh, this kind of presents a, another good segue into, um, I don't know if you got to read uh, Hoya Sucks's, uh projecting Syracuse's NCAA tournament team sheet um, article today, but for those that didn't, it's very good. Uh, Matt goes into a really nice um, kind of diatribe both about what's wrong and where Syracuse stands um, and, and, and how, you know, the, the whole system is, is messed up in terms of, you know, it's tasking non-basketball analysts to analyze basketball with flawed metrics in a way they just simply can't physically, and it's not their fault. It doesn't mean that they're terrible people for it. It just means that the system is broken. Um, so it's it, it, it's it's a dual part read, I would say, um, but but I think both of those parts uh, function very well on their own, and I uh, I very much enjoyed it. I think a lot of other people that have read it so far uh, seem to have as well. So again, it's a, not shameless plug. It's just a plug. Um, 
good stuff as always from the uh, from some of the other folks that write for the site, including uh, Suxa, who happens to be um, probably one of the better uh, bracketologists that I know personally, and I do know too. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I haven't read the full piece. I saw like what he was doing on Twitter that kind of led to it. Um, I'm now just opening it. Um, but overall, like he's been on the RPI as a dumb metric train for a while, and he is correct because RPI is a dumb metric. Um, but overall, like the whole quadra thing, I do while while it's still RPI based and uh, RPI is just not a very good stat. Um, I kind of appreciate that we have an idea. We have more of an idea of what's being looked at now. Um, just in, I think that's kind of helpful in terms of like just the whole argument um, going down the stretch here. Like, we'll be able to map out, like, this is what the committee is looking at. And obviously, these goalposts change all the time, and, like, they could say, oh, this was absolutely the important thing uh, after the fact, after we get left out or get put in. Um, but it's nice to have this with us as a kind of a guiding tool, whether or not it is the best possible math that we could be using, which, spoiler alert, it is not. Yeah, I mean, I kind of got into this in the Slack room where I said, like, you know, if you're a really smart team and you're looking to kind of steal a bid, uh, one way to do that is to operate on the fringes if you want to just mess with the math is wait to see who Kansas and Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina and a couple other schools schedule in their non-conference, the teams you know you're going to beat, and then schedule them. Um, Because what that does is while it doesn't affect your win-loss anymore, um, and it doesn't affect that team's either. They're going to be picking up more losses. It does affect the other part of the RPI, which is the win-loss metric of teams that they faced. Um, so if you schedule the teams and all the best teams schedule, you're still going to get an RPI boost. Yeah, and a team that could that you know might have been ranked. I don't know how how dramatic it, it could be from one or two games, but a team that might have been ranked like you know in the low 200s to end up in like the mid 200s, and it just like games it a little bit. Um, now. I always go with the argument of Syracuse should not be in a position where the RPI is a huge uh, factor in terms of getting in. We should just have the resume to get in no matter what. Agreed. Um, that have, it hasn't been the case <laughs> in the last three years. Uh, so, you know, you'll take them where you can. Luckily, this year, and Syracuse in general, I feel like in the last couple of years, um, we've done a pretty good job of avoiding, like, the big, like, 300-plus RPI uh, drains and we've gotten lucky with some of the ones that we've scheduled like like Buffalo this year um, and even the Bonnies like it's uh, not good to lose to them but like you'd rather lose to a team that's to end up as like a you know probably uh, are they quad- I guess they would be quadrant run if we had won but they're quadrant two because we lost but they're going to be like a, a pretty solid a tournament team uh, if they win their tournament for sure but like they'll probably be like an 11 or 12 seed yeah. uh, maybe 13 if they make the tournament so you just you, you like to get into you know where, where those losses look or those those wins look uh, look decent versus like oh you know the Colgate games like the one every year where it's gonna drop us a lot and I get keeping that series for local reasons but you don't want like you know four or five of those games when there's like no connection to those schools and I feel like we used to have more of those yeah I mean you, you kind of see a drop off with schools like Canisius and uh, Niagara schools like that that we really used to play a lot more and now we we definitely do not and we probably will play even less. Um, you know, once we get to you know the twenty game ACC schedule, I think we'll see a, a big, big change there. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense. Um, I, I think uh, you you know start to have to to work the system in your advantage uh, as much as you can. And when you're a Syracuse, you're going to be able to bring in most schools that you reach out to. I feel like, like I don't I don't know how how often SU's going to be turned down by any school that's not like it's not like a crazy trip for it. because a lot of these these programs. You know, a it's probably a pretty decent payday. 
and B, like, the chance to play in a place like the Terrier Dome, it's a good experience. Um, Syracuse is usually good for their resumes as well. If you so, want dome shooting um, experience. Yeah, for sure. Which... Um, yeah, it, overall, I think it, it's always beneficial to play those teams because, you know, it's not like SU loses to them all that often recently anyway. So uh, if you're going to, you know, might as well pad the RPI where you can as long as this is a metric that we are using. Agreed. Um, one more thing before halftime, obviously. Uh, Wednesday should be today. Um, NC State heads up to the Carrier Dome. Uh, pretty rude of them on Valentine's Day to schedule a game for 9 p.m. local. Uh, just just all around, just why? Um, especially also noticed on the ACC Network local affiliate list, this game is available in Idaho, but not in California. Uh, doesn't really make any sense, but whatever. That's why we need a linear network and some other things. We really need a linear network after this year because, man, trying to watch games on the ACC Network Extra when you are a cable cutter and every game is on WLNY is so difficult. <laughs> I went to a bar bad. on Sunday, which I was able to do. But, like, the other day, I was uh, one of the one of the other Wednesday games that was on Network Extra. I went to a bar here in Hoboken where our office is, and I was like, oh, I assume you guys did WLNY? And no, because it's in Jersey, so they don't get it. So I had to go to the, to the city and place i went didn't get it so it was just like all right well i guess i can't see this game um because it's just like uh, just get just get the the acc network launch please like that's all i want it's been i've missed so many games and i've had to go like watch uh after the fact they're like just kind of like skim through just to get caught up to like know what i'm talking about that it's it's really frustrating and it's so much worse this year than it used to be because like at least before like you know you might miss one or two but like most of them would be on like yes or yeah they are saying most of them yeah, or, or RSN, so it would be uh, uh, some on some local channel. Now they're all on LNY, and it's just, like, impossible to get most of them if you're in cable um, because you're blocked out on Watch ESPN. So very frustrating uh, this year, hopefully. And it doesn't help that the team hasn't been very good. That would have solved a lot of things. Um, I assume we won't have as much an issue. I, I know we have CBS for Miami, and we have ESPN for UNC, and I bet we'll probably get ESPN or two um for duke so hopefully it won't be as much of an issue going forward um still once again, it's still aggravating the state and very aggravating yeah just like i cared about watching a lot of these games well and at least you had like i mean obviously like for you being cord cutter like not so much but like if you if you weren't a cord cutter you would have had local access to pretty much all these games um for me like you know i'm dealing with like some of these games are available in San Francisco only. Some of them aren't available in California at all. Some of the bigger ones are available in, in, in L.A., that, you know, the non-ESPN, CBS ones. But, like, yeah, I did feel it was a much, much bigger issue and that the ACC Network solution wasn't really much of a solution this year, and I feel like it created a lot more aggravation um, than it was worth kind of departing from the RSN setup um, the way they had. Definitely, uh, definitely not going to give them the type of data they probably want either in terms of who's watching these games because I'm sure that helps kind of uh, dictate some of these decisions. I feel like they weren't necessarily ready for um, the problems that, you know, this many streaming games could lead to, um, this much kind of variance from game to game. Obviously, again, doesn't matter much in New York where every game was going to be available on a local affiliate if you had, um, you know, linear TV. But um, for those outside of the the local markets, um, you kind of you kind of leave these things up to like a... a, a pretty big gamble um that happened during football season and happened quite a bit during basketball season this year so um we got another year of this uh, before we uh 
Actually, is this... No, we still have one more year, right? Does it launch 2019? Or does it launch this fall? I, I don't think it's this fall. I think it's 2019, but I'm... They've changed, like, everything's changed so much with this that I can't even remember. I think, um, I think it's 2019. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't think they would launch. Uh, I think we would know if they were launching before this fall. I'm pretty right. sure it's 2019. Yeah, so that'll that'll be another fun year of, uh, of ACC Network Extra Bingo. Yep. At least I will say, the one thing I will say, uh, the one sa- kind of saving grace, and it's not really saving grace because it doesn't change if you can watch the games or not, but um, SU's been a lot better about uh, letting you know where these games are being yes. broadcast locally. Um, which was never a strong suit of theirs before. No. I'm sure they were just tired of all the angry tweets about where's the game. Those, those finally shifted yeah. from, from us and Brent Axe to, uh, <laughs> to the Syracuse feed. Yes. For, for, I'm sure Brent's like Twitter, uh, Twitter engagement's way down, though. Yeah, and yeah, you gotta, gotta keep that score up. Um, <laughs> and before we uh, hit halftime, I want to talk NC State a little bit. Um, NC State and us are kind of in similar situations. Uh, at the same time, though, like NC State, 16-9, 6-6 overall. They do actually have some bad losses, um, which is not something that Syracuse can say. Um, I don't know where UNI's RPI is, but I'm sure it's not great. UNC Greensboro, same deal. Um, those two probably going to cause some problems um, to an extent and might – I mean, they won't cancel out um, – you know, wins over North Carolina and Duke, but um, they probably don't help depending on whether or not the committee um, emphasizes losses or wins. Um, NC State also has a pretty, not super manageable slate to end, but a much more manageable slate than we do. Um, They have road game at us, road game at Wake Forest, uh, and then they're hosting BC and Florida State. Um, they're at, on the road at Georgia Tech, and they're against Louisville. They could realistically, even without being that good of a team, uh, go five and one in there. Yeah, I still don't know how good they are. Um, yeah. I think we, everyone was kind of buying really hard on them um, after they beat UNC, but uh, then like they beat Notre Dame, which was nice. Like they beat them by eighteen, but Notre Dame's been terrible, uh, and it's embarrassing that we lost to them. But they've been like Notre Dame has not recovered from all the injuries they have. Um, and then before that, they beat Pitt by four, which is, like, almost a loss. Um, <laughs> and then since, obviously, they dropped two to Vodtech and UNC, which uh, neither was, like, a terrible loss. But um, it's just not, like, you know, it seems like uh, the, the hype for NC State after the UNC win has kind of uh, subdued. And those, those two early bad losses uh, probably won't, I mean, they're not going to look great. I think that they might, if they finish strong, I feel like they are going to get the benefit of the doubt. Um compared to those, uh, the Greensboro and the UNI loss, because, you know, new coach, and they're, you know, kind of finding their way. Um, it is going to be a pretty interesting comparison if we are kind of battling it out for a seat with them. Obviously, the head-to-head will be huge. Um, you although, would think. as we've said, like, three, <laughs> week, three weeks in a row now, looked at the Wake Forest head-to-head with us last year, doesn't always mean, you know, everything. But um, they have, you know, oh, they also won over Clemson, which is nice. Um, and Duke. Yeah, three, so they have, like, three, these, three big wins. Yes. Um, I forgot they had those two back-to-back uh, after they've, after they lost to ND by, like, a ton, by, like, 30. Um, and then before they got brought back to uh, the real world by UVA. So they're definitely going to have, like, the higher highs than us, assuming we don't go on a tear. Um, they're probably going to have the lower lows because they have those two really bad losses. Um, I think uh, they're probably helped by, as I said, uh, the fact that they are, you know, potentially going to finish strong 
and have those top-heavy wins, and the wins seem to be meaning more than the losses so far based on what we've seen from the committee so uh, early on. So it'll be an interesting case, but, you know, you could also see NC State, you know, on the other hand, if they lose to us, um, none of those games is like a, a cakewalk. Like, no. even BC and Georgia Tech could, like, pick you off. So, uh, or Wake, as we just saw. So there, there are a lot of these, these ACCs is super interesting in the middle here. Um, a run of teams that are between, like, 7 and 5 and 6 and 7 in, in conference um, are all going to be in the hunt down the stretch here. And uh, this is a huge game. I mean, every game for SU is going to be big down here. Uh, as we finish up because there just aren't there's no team aside from Pitt who we already you know handled that you're going to look at and say oh there's no way Syracuse loses this right I mean and for 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 NC State it's the same thing but to a different extent obviously because none of these teams are ranked um still all of them are talented I think they probably end up somewhere in the 10 and 8 9 and 9 range and if they finish 10 and 8 I feel like they just need a win in the ACC tournament and they'll be in um, again, despite those losses. But uh, that's a conversation for kind of down the road. Um, Dan, this team presents some problems. Um, particularly, they're a good three-point shooting team. Uh, they have three different players who shoot uh, better than 34% um, from the field. Uh, they also have, you know, several quality big men, uh, Omer Yurtsevin and uh, Torin Dorn who I just like saying his name. It's kind of fun. Uh, looking at those guys, like, this l- seems like a matchup problem, but like you said, we really don't know how good or not this team is when they play so, like, kind of hot and cold. Um, I mean, they also don't play defense, uh, as evidenced by their recent game against UNC when they allowed the heels to shoot, like, 56% from the floor. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely an interesting matchup for us because... Uh, We've, we've been less dominant in terms of uh, our rebounding and our interior play as of late, uh, part of that's depth, obviously. Um, and they do have a lot of size, as NC State tends to. Um, they do have uh, some a couple decent shooters, like you said, and even their bigs can kind of step out a bit. Um, Yurt7 you know, hasn't taken a ton of threes, but he's knocked down almost half of them. Um, but, you know, Freeman, Beverly, and then some of the guys down the bench, even uh, Markel Johnson is their best shooter by percentages. He hasn't take a ton actually Yurt's evidently is but Johnson's uh over 43 percent um Sam Hunt who plays about 15 minutes a game to knock him down to 34 percent so I got him as the uh, Riley Ferguson can... uh, memorial player of the game right now Sam Hunt yep that's what I was looking at I actually I would like start to google him as I was looking down the roster here uh he definitely profiles terrifying um, <laughs> yeah he'll probably play so he averages 15 minutes a game I'd say he's gonna play 28 minutes <laughs> um, I'm gonna say he scores 17 points, and uh, I don't know. Dude, so my only my only concern here is he's actually a transfer from NCA and T. I feel like these usually aren't uh, grad transfers, but I, I feel like they're you know you can always have exceptions here. He I mean he went seven of eleven against Jacksonville. Ooh yeah, so he could definitely. I mean that that almost counts against him a little bit because he's had a big game, but Jacksonville's Jacksonville, so it, it's not like a. He only played 20 minutes in that one. <laughs> That's crazy. He had 20 points in 20 minutes. But then he also really was like funny. 3 of 12, I think, against Georgia Tech or another team. So, like, he's uh, had... Pitt. Oh, Pitt. So, like, he's had some all good games. All from three. Yeah, all, <laughs> all from three. Just That's the thing. Like, he, he's one of those terrifying, like, I'm going to play 15 minutes a game, and I'm just going to let it fly for all 15 minutes. And, like, we don't have... I don't think we have the energy to, like, get out there with it. Like, 
Brissett isn't a terrible defender, but I don't think like he's not your typical player in that role that we have that can like jump out and defend the perimeter. Um, the same way we've had like more athletic kind of three, four flex guys. Yeah, I kind of want a stat of uh, players in the ACC um, in terms of three-point attempts per minute. I bet he'd be pretty high if I had to. I, I really want someone to crap those num- crunch those numbers because that'd be a very entertaining thing to look at. <laughs> this is where we need an intern because uh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> but yeah, if somebody Oh, wants I to... definitely don't have time. No, no, yeah. no it's definitely not me. <laughs> if somebody wants to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want someone else to do this work. Come on. Someone who has, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard if you have uh, access to, like, an Excel spreadsheet of just the ACC stats. Yeah, like, that's the thing. If it was in one place, I would do it in a second. Like, it really wouldn't take very long. But because these things are not in one place, it would be, uh, it'd be a little bit of a chore. Um, Dan, given that you had a matchup issue and the, uh, you know, mentioning the bigs, what do you see happening in this one? Because I'm, I'm torn here. I, uh, not, not torn Dorn, but just torn. Um about what's going to happen. I uh, I feel like this could be a letdown spot after kind of hinting at one against Wake Forest for Syracuse, but NC State also has shown themselves to be a little bit vulnerable on the other end. Um, and I feel like when teams can't guard Syracuse, they are significantly better, obviously, than when teams can and do. Yeah, this is tough because it's on the road. Um, it's a team that we have had, like, very mixed results against uh, since joining the ACC. Um, well, we're, on, we're at home. They're on the road. Oh, we are at home. I'm an idiot. I was looking at the NC State page that had... <laughs> okay, we are at home. feel a lot better about that. Um, very well prepared for this podcast. Um, yeah, I had the NC State version of the uh, like ESPN home page, clubhouse page open, and that had a, an at, um, which makes sense, because NC State is on the road. Um, so we are at home. It's a late start. Uh, I'm now changing everything I was about to say. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be close either way. I think it's going to be super frustrating, because it is a Syracuse game. Um, I feel weirdly okay about this one, um, and I haven't been super confident about any of these games recently. Um, I feel like we have a little bit of momentum on our side. I think Battle is starting to play better after he had that weird uh, slump in the middle of the season. Um, and NC State, obviously, is coming off of two tough losses. We are coming off of two pretty good wins. Uh, I'm going to take Syracuse. I don't know if I feel good about taking them, but I'm going to uh, for like a narrow win here. Uh, I think it'll be another, like, we're going to be you know, it's very frustrated and praying this game away. But I'll take Syracuse both for like a, a six-point late free-throw-aided win. I just feel like NC State took too many notes from the Wake Forest game. And as much as I want to pick Syracuse, I feel like I'm almost hopefully reverse jinxing this. Um, and I think NC State's going to win something in like the 77 to like 71 range. Um, I think it's going to be like a frustrating end-of-game situation. That might just be because we run out of gas, so it won't be like this, uh, this you know, large-scale, like, damning argument against Syracuse. It'll more just be, this is what happens when you play three of your players 40 minutes a game every game. Uh, yeah, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, we actually have flipped, uh, you've been you've been the more optimistic one in our, like, predictions for these games uh, the last couple of weeks, so we're, we're flipping a little bit. I'm, I'm actually the most accurate member of the uh, New Magician staff this year. Okay. I, uh, I know Bobby uh, tabulated those results and tweeted them out like a week ago. And I was, uh, I think I'm like, I was at the time I was like 17 and four or something picking games. Not bad. I will take it. Um, all right. So why don't we talk a little halftime, then we can go into some football, maybe circle back around basketball, depending on what we're in the mood for. 
Sounds good. You uh, you drank plenty this weekend, which I am envious of. I did not drink at all because I felt like after vacation and going a little too hard during the Super Bowl, I felt like I needed a little bit of a break. That's fair. I I will carry this then um, because I had a big, a big like out of nowhere drinking weekend. Um, just had a lot of, of beery events. Um, so I had I mean, I'm trying I'm gonna try to break these up just like there were like definitive moments here. I was at. I went to the same place for a dinner and a, and a brunch, and I can't remember what, which one I had this at, but I had a uh, juice bomb by Sloop Brewing. Um, I think it was at the dinner, uh, which I've had before. Um, Sloop, uh, a very solid brewery out of uh, Elizaville. Um, and the juice bomb is, like you probably imagine from the name, just a big, juicy IPA, very delicious. Um, I'm going to skip over plenty because I had a lot, so just under with the highlights this week. Um, one of the most unexpected highlights for me um, was a brewery in New York, and there are so many damn Brooklyn breweries at this point that I don't even know. Like, I feel like I don't know half of them. Um, this is from Five Burrows, which is in uh, Sunset Park, um, down by the water. Uh, if you're not in New York, you probably don't know it too well, um, but down in Brooklyn. Um, and that's the first thing I ever had from them, their last stop uh, IPA, which was, like, really, really, really hoppy, really flavorful, and yet, like, not overwhelming to the point where, like, you know, it takes you forever to drink one. Like, it was a really, really well-balanced, uh, really well-done IPA. Um, so, big fan of that, and I'm going to keep a lookout for them. Um, and then I went to Torst on Sunday because Love they were Torst. having a launch event for uh, a nomadic brewery uh, based out of Long Island, but it looks like they're just kind of all over the place in terms of where they actually brew, called uh, Root and Branch. Um, so, some of the better ones I've had from them... Uh, were the Powers, Roots, and Radicals. Uh, they were mostly uh, IPAs. Um, I had uh, the ICU, which they brewed with Folks Beer. Um, Love Folks another, Beer. Yes. Uh, I had, oh, uh, Dead Men on Holiday, which uh, I think they actually brew themselves, which was really good. Um, really, like, there were a couple different beers I had this weekend that were super, like, like you would have no idea that they were as boozy as they were, and then you look and they're like eight percent, and it's kind of unbelievable they they are because they're like very drinkable, and I would have probably paired them at like the fours or maybe the fives. Um, I had uh, they, another brewery that was being featured for, uh, at Taurus was Hudson Valley, and they specialize in sour IPAs, which uh, was very much in my wheelhouse. Um, their Babylon was delicious. Um, their uh, what else did they have? Uh, their Peach Silhouette was one of the best beers I had this weekend. Um, Another one that was, like, super, super drinkable, and then you looked, and it was, like, 8-something percent. Um, for whatever reason, New York City got flooded by Alchemist hands this weekend. Uh, I saw it for sale, like, three different places, which was bizarre. Um, so they were at a Heady Topper, but I did, did a Focal Banger, which I hadn't had before, which is really, really good and super different from Heady. Just very, very unique, uh, like, pop flavors. Um, not quite sure what they used in the brew there, but really, really delicious. Um, I had uh, It's Hip to be Square by Evil Twin. Uh, which was good. I had a Rattleberry by Hermit Thrush, which was very good. Um, and, uh, oh, and then the other evil twin I had since I was a tourist, uh, the IPA Culotta, which is a pina colada-themed IPA hmm. um, with coconut and pineapple, and it's super, super delicious. <laughs> um, uh, sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, so I, I think they just put that one out. So those were the highlights. I had a bunch of others, but I had to kind of limit it for this, so you can... Head over to Untapped, uh, down under Store Alliance, and you can see the full arrangement of stuff I was able to have. And we picked the right week for me not to drink, it would appear. Yeah, we spread it out well. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely be back on it this weekend. I just uh, felt like my liver deserved a break. Just a brief one, but, but one nonetheless. 
Um, so despite the fact that it is not football season, I, uh, running a blog about a basketball school mostly, I managed to shove in as much football content as possible. Uh, today, three articles, as it would end up. Um, the first one, brief, uh, Rodney Williams will pursue a grad transfer. Um, he is the latest in a line of four this offseason. I think now Antoine Cordy might be the only Schaefer recruit left on the roster since, like, I think seven defensive back. Well, Schaefer recruit, secondary Schaefer recruit left. Because I think, like, seven or so have left the program in the last two offseasons, Dan. I think that's more of a fit thing, though. Yeah. Um, Williams is a little surprising. I, I had him was, in, like— He could have even started, potentially. Yeah, and I didn't see a lot of, like, you know, you kind of get the you see the rumors about these guys before it happens. Um, it kind of took me by surprise today when I saw it come through on Twitter. Yeah, because, like, I just saw, what was it, last week? I think like, Tommy DeVito, like, tweeted that, it, like, Rodney had, like, a new Twitter feed or something. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't follow these guys. I just other people, like, tweet them. I, I just have a very strict rule about not following current college players or high school kids. Um just because I know what I tweeted as a college kid and what I would have tweeted as a high school kid, and I don't want to see that. So. Yep, I, I definitely <laughs> cold my Twitter feed pretty well, like a couple of years out of college. It's it's for the best. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Rodney leaving kind of opens up an interesting conversation about the secondary. Uh, we're gonna see some youth back there again, but maybe, maybe it's it's youth that is a little bit better of a fit for the Tampa two. Yeah, it's. Uh... I will say, like, losing a defensive back is probably a little less uh, dramatic than, like, if he was along the defensive line where we've had so many depth issues. Um, obviously, I think we would have preferred to, to still have him because he, you know, was a very solid player for us for a long time. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to fault people. But he, he would have been a potential starter in, uh, at safety. And now I, I think it, you could go in a lot of different directions uh, at that position. Yeah, I mean, like Foster, Clark, some of the freshmen, like, you know, maybe Dre Cisco gets a look. Um, it's going to be weird. I think the springs and only going to start to kind of stretch the surface of where we could go. You know, safety. You have to assume Cordy has one of the spots locked down. Um, so then again, it's just a question of you know who gets that other one. Uh, that could be critical. I feel like last year safety was a trouble spot yet again. Cordy went down in game one, um, which was heartbreaking for him, especially as a kid who missed almost all of the 2016 season. Um, and then once uh, Jordan Martin went down after switching to safety about five games in, you saw a, uh, a, a precipitous uh, kind of, you know, downturn in terms of uh, production back there. I mean, obviously the guys out there tried, uh, but, you know, that secondary was really challenged in the second half of the year, and it showed. Um, and I think the breaking point was, uh, was that Wake Forest game when everything just kind of, uh, you know, came crashing down and uh, never really recovered. Yeah, and and defensive back has been kind of a an issue for a while here i mean you cited like the issues we had under schaefer but um it's probably been it didn't think that better this fall but uh it's been like a major weak spot for this team for years um the, the post shamarco days yeah the post shamarco and even, even those days like there were strengths um they weren't like great cover groups uh and the strengths were kind of helped by the fact that we had a pretty good pass rush and very had very good linebackers for a long time now but overall, I think uh, there's definitely more to be uh, optimistic about. I think we, we brought in, obviously, our, our, our number one in this class is uh, Trill Williams. He'll probably end up playing corner. Um, so I, I think uh, I think Williams would have been a nice player to have. Um, he definitely did some good things in the box, especially. I don't think he was, like, a great downfield defender. Um, 
but yeah, you don't like to lose depth, but you you, you know wish these guys the best as they as they make these kind of changes. Totally, and I mean, who knows? Uh, he could end up at Middle Tennessee. That seems like Middle Tennessee and Western Michigan. Western Michigan might get a block this time around. Uh, Probably considering we play them. Yeah, Middle Tennessee. I don't think we'll ever be playing them again. At least as long as Scott Schaefer's there. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, can we not? Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt. Who was it that ended up there already? Was it Cordell Hudson? Or was it somebody else? One of them ended up. Uh, or maybe it was Davon Ellison. One of the guys uh, that left. One of the guys that left this offseason already ended up at Middle Tennessee. I looked. I tried to Google it, and I'm just getting like the actual like had a transfer to Middle Tennessee as a student. So that's not super. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. Like, Cordell Hudson. It was Cordell Hudson. Boom. All yeah. right. So uh, yeah, he might end up Middle Tennessee. He might end up somewhere else. Who knows? Either way, we wish Rodney the best. Uh, he got to play for each of the last four years, but got hurt early in 2014, so he was able to medical redshirt. Good for him that he's able to get a, uh, another opportunity out there. Um, some other Syracuse news before we get to kind of the quarterback conversation. Um, Syracuse scheduled Ohio, kind of an undercover announcement today. Uh, it wasn't announced by the school, uh, FB Schedules, the, uh, the, the expert in all things scheduling. Does a really good job of throwing uh, FOIA requests out there which I, uh, I commend them for. It makes my job easier because I don't have to do it. Um, as everyone knows, you can't uh, really do a FOIA request on uh, Syracuse, but you can on all the other state schools that play football. And that includes the University of Ohio, who we will now be playing and hosting in 2022 for a whopping $850,000 for a one-off game, which not really thrilled about that, but whatever. Yeah, that's a lot. Um... I don't know what the. I feel like the doing rate hasn't been that high, so no. I, uh, I'm a little surprised we, that we're paying that much, but especially this far out, I think we play. I think we've paid close to a million for Middle Tennessee for a one-off, which blows because we lost. Um, but we also, also a, a shorter turnaround, yeah, in terms much of shorter turnaround, and I think that's why it was like that. Um, Ohio, we, we're scheduling them pretty far out, so I'm very. I'm a little confused as to why it was that much money. A and B, why we didn't just do a home and home. Yeah, um, I will say I don't mind the Ohio. Um, it seems like it's a one-off for now. I don't know if uh, if, if something could change um, with that, but overall, like I think it's pretty unlikely that Frank Solich is still there. Yeah. Um, and he's been uh, incredible since he got to Ohio. Uh, and he's been there for a while now, um, and they've been one of the more consistent MAC programs and one of the more dangerous ones. Um, granted, like the, the big teams they've beaten are like Kansas a couple times. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, so that's not you know anything to go crazy over, but. There's a decent chance that they are a program uh, in a bit of uh, transition, even though he'll probably leave before 2022. So I don't think we'll catch them like the year they're changing coaches. But um, odds are it won't be the same Ohio program that's been so consistent the last couple of years. And even if it is, we should be better. One would hope. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. I mean, it's the same thing when people were saying, like when I was complaining a little bit about Rutgers, um, it was more like, hey, um, like if we're this concerned about Rutgers, like then chances are this entire coaching staff has been turned over. Like if, if we're that concerned by 2020 and, you know, I, I, I agree with that to an extent. Um, I'm, I'm never, never again, scheduling um, advantageously in, uh, in areas that we recruit to Ohio being one of them. Um, you know, the directional Michigans are fine um, in that regard as well. Um, any of the, you know, G5 schools in Virginia and North Carolina where we don't, where we do play once a year, but, Nonetheless, good to get out uh, to some of the other areas around there. Georgia, where we only go once every 12 years. 
Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll take the Ohio matchup. I'll take just getting teams on the schedule. Uh, this is only the second team on the 2022 schedule, um, Notre Dame being the other. Uh, other people pointed out too that this uh, this should guarantee that we're playing um, seven home games um, for 2022, unless uh, unless something changes wildly, like us deciding that we're gonna um, schedule two road games, which I don't know why we would. Yeah, and, and if you can get like a one for nothing, um, obviously we're paying a bit for it. Um, I don't know when those payments actually go out, so there's a chance we've just kind of projected forward and said, like, oh, this is what this will probably cost in 2022 um, versus these prices for, like, college football in general. Like, everything's just becoming way more expensive very quickly uh, in terms of, like, coaching uh, salaries and everything else. Like, everything's getting super inflated. So there's a chance that, like, by the time that rolls around, assuming payments aren't cleared, like, tomorrow, um, (laughs) and based on, like, the whole Arkansas State-Miami drama, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. there's a chance that that's like actually pretty decent market value by the time this game is actually played. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, another weird thing before we move on to the next football topic. Um, haven't played them since 1921, which I thought is weird considering where Ohio is and where we are and all that. A little bit. I feel like we play all these mad teams like once in a while. Yeah, um, like regularly. Have like series with them. So that is weird. I mean, Ohio is like kind of a unique school. It's not like this, you know, I feel like it's a slightly different profile than a lot of these other Mac schools, but it is strange that like that we haven't played since then because you know you generally we schedule the Mac a lot and um, we've played like Miami of Ohio uh, we haven't played Kent State we played Akron um, we have Western Michigan coming up we played Central Michigan a bunch like it is strange that they haven't been on that list since you know the twenties you think it would have happened once or twice yeah Ohio's actually never scored a point on us and maybe we keep that uh, streak going that'd be nice yeah they uh, SU won. 38 to nothing in the most recent matchup and 73 to nothing in the matchup before that. So yeah, if SU wants to keep that streak going, feel free. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, that'd be great. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to get overly excited about uh, <laughs> a game that's a mid-major game that's four years away. But overall, I, I think there are definitely worse games you could have put on the, uh, on the schedule. It's nice that we're already getting a jump on this. I mean, we've, we spent so long complaining about scheduling with Syracuse and now like it really does seem like we've kind of figured it out everything that's happened recently has been pretty good. Still got five openings, though, between 2020 and 2022. Yeah, but we're, like, way ahead of, like, the pace we used to be. We're, like, no, heading sure. into a season we would have a game. Yeah, like, 2019's already done. That's that's the most stunning part to me. That, like, we don't have to worry about next season. That's that's already finished. <laughs> but uh, 2020's only got two done, so let's, uh, let's get on that. Um, anyway, before I start going down that rabbit hole, um, also talked about, and I was surprised how many comments this article got, um, spring football preview started doing my uh, annual kind of position by position. Uh, this time around, started with quarterbacks as per usual. Um, Dungy's the starter, but there's some people that think that Devito and I should have expected this. Uh, some people thinking that Devito should potentially be given the reins and definitely has a leg up on Culpepper. I'm not sure about. Well, I disagree fervently with the first part. Second one, I don't necessarily think he's leg up on Culpepper yet, but he could by the end of the summer. Yeah, I think the second one's not unfair. I think the first one's just like, oh, let's calm down. Yeah, <laughs> like, Eric Dungy's very, very good. Um, and, like, the, the one issue with Dungy has been his health. And if he stays healthy, then I don't know why we're, you know, kicking him off uh, out of, the, you know, being a starter here. So I hope that um, we put ourselves in a position to play uh, a couple of different quarterbacks. Like, it was nice to get Cole Pepper some run this year. Um, and we're all very excited for Tommy DeVito. But, like... Let's chill a bit. Like, Dungy's yeah. very, very good. If he's healthy, he is going to be the starter, unless DeVito is just, like, 
so next level that it's not even a question. So um, I, I feel very, very confident that barring injury, Dungy will be the starter. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But I, I think it's all barring injury. I, I think that's, that's the only way you see DeVito. And, like, I mean, see DeVito is in, like, starting a game. Um, hopefully, yeah, we, 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 you know, grab some, some big leads and are able to, to play DeVito and or Culpepper, you know, to close out a couple contests this year. Um, one way or the other, but uh, I, I'm looking forward to a season, hopefully, where Dungy runs a little bit less, um, throws a little bit more, and throws a little bit more accurately. Um, we saw a dip there for him last year, which I think is something to watch out for, um, especially when we have a much younger receiving core this year um, that could potentially impact it even more. I think if Dungy is looking more like a you know 55 to 60 percent accuracy guy um that could have some real negative effects obviously not to put it all on him that could have some real negative effects um versus being somewhere in the you know 61 to 65 percent range where he was uh in his first season in the you know baby system where i felt like he was a little bit more efficient um throwing the ball than he was this past season yeah i i agree with that i I think hopefully it will just be nice to, to have a full season of Dungy um, playing end-to-end. Obviously, we, we always bring it up like it wasn't concussions or head injuries or whatever. Uh, this year it was a leg injury, and he seems to have recovered from that. Um, but it'll, it would just really, really be nice to uh, to finally uh, see him put together like a full 12 games. Yeah, and I mean, so I think part of that is not running... Um, especially up the middle, um, if we can if we can get a better push in the offensive line, I think we will. Especially with Aaron Roberts back, um, that's ideal. I think if Chris Elmore can emerge as a as a legitimate short yardage threat, and I don't think I think he was on the way to being one last year, but I don't think he really accomplished that yet. Um, that'd be great. I think if we can get someone like Marquenzie Pierre potentially um, to be our short yardage option um, more regularly, that's another one. Like anything we can do to make Dungy not the short yardage quarterback, uh, that's great for one. Um, I'd like to see, I know I mentioned in the article, I'd like to see him down around, you know, maybe uh, 80 to 90 carries on the year. Um, I, I think that that is, is a nice compromise that allows him to still use his speed um, and, and make some plays and, and, and keep himself a threat uh, to run the football without, um, while still, you know, keeping him safe and not necessarily predicating the entire run game on him. Um, that's really been kind of problematic. Um, in recent years, as we've seen it uptick each year, he went from, I think it was something around 80 to 90 carries his freshman year to something around, I think, 110 to 120 um, his sophomore year, and then last year, 143 carries. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like that's not really uh, it's not really ideal, and it's not really much of an offense, especially when you know that uh, a bunch of these, they're either called runs that seem silly at the time, they're up the gut, or uh, they're improv- improvised runs. Um, that, you know, Dungy does plenty of those. And you want that improvisation, but maybe you can't have you can't have the 10 to 15 called runs and the improvisation. It has to be one or the other. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and, and the, the sheer amount of, imp, like, improvisational runs you have from Dungy kind of make their effect, like, lesser. Right. Um, so, like, I love when he breaks, like, a, you know, a 15-yard scramble. But if, if that's, like, such a core of the offense, it stops becoming a surprise and it's something that the defense can gear in on. And then he's, you know, susceptible to more hits. And as we talked about, like you just uh, ideally, you know, it's always fun to have these quarterbacks who can get out and do a lot of things, but like, ideally you want your quarterback taking as few hits as possible. And to this point that hasn't really been um, possible 
based on Dungey's style. Uh, but you hope that, you know, this is finally year with a hopefully healthy and improved offensive line and hopefully an improved running game and all these things that can kind of help him um, just play the position more cleanly. Um, that's something that we can accomplish this season. Yeah, I would love that. Um, one last thing on Dungey, guess before we go. Um, young receivers. I know it was something I mentioned earlier. Um, Steve Ishmael and Eric Phillips are gone. Um, Devin Butler, Sean Riley, Ravian Pierce, three of the names you'll probably be seeing a lot, um, at least in spring practice. There'll be plenty more. A lot of the young guys, uh, you know, Cameron Jordan, Russell Thompson Bishop, um, Ed Hendricks, you know, some of the other new guys. Like, there's plenty of younger names that could really rise up here, but I think at least initially you're going to see Syracuse be leaning on guys like Riley and Butler and, and Pierce at tight end. Uh, Pierce could actually end up having a, a pretty nice season this year, I think. Um, if we can just block better for Dungy, that should free him up to be, you know, out kind of in space. And we could see um, kind of the inside receiver role transition a little bit more to a bigger target like him while using Riley, um, Riley's speed to kind of create some mismatches with linebackers a little bit further down the field. But um, I do think that in general, Dungy being there is going to help guys like Riley and Butler um, come along. I think it's going to help, uh, you know, again, guys like Jordan, Thompson Bishop, uh, playing the others. Uh, you know, Sherrod, uh, Nike Johnson, like all these guys are going to benefit from having Dungy there in his final season, um, his third year in the offense. Um, these guys are just, they need a little bit more time, and I'd rather have them have a ton of experience. Now, you and I have talked about this a ton, Dan. These guys having a ton of experience before kind of the reins get handed off to either Culpepper or DeVito. Um, and, and, you know, those guys stepping in with a very experienced offensive line in front of them and some very experienced receivers around them. Yeah, uh, I think overall there's just a lot to look forward to. I think this has a chance to hopefully be finally be the balanced offense um, that we've been looking for under Babers, and unfortunately because of the roster and injuries especially, um, it's we, we've kind of done the best with what we've had, but we haven't had like a super efficient group. Um, and we keep on like going back to what we saw from Babers' you know, last stops, and you had this very balanced, if not like slightly run-oriented group with you know, that also put up huge passing numbers because they were able to, to get chunk plays. And hopefully we can start to kind of shift more towards that um, by, you know, we don't need a this crazy running game, but just being able to, like, consistently get over four yards of carry would be a huge upgrade. And I think on paper, this should be a year where we can start to, to kind of make those moves. And we, we you know, we'll learned about guys like Mo Neal and, and even, you know, Strickland, who hasn't been great on the ground but has his own strengths. Like, we hopefully Babers is kind of had a, a couple big years here to to understand his roster and really get in kind of a groove of what people can do well and what they can't and and we can move more towards what we know the Babers offense uh to be when it's really firing in all cylinders agreed yeah let's uh let's get a more balanced offense I would very much appreciate it um but yeah we'll talk more about running backs probably next week because I know I'll uh I'll definitely have my running backs preview that'll be interesting because it'll be um no real turnover. It's just a question of who's really going to carry the ball. There's a lot of options now. Um, but yeah, that's that's more fodder for next week, I guess. Um, Dan, anything else before we go? Obviously, again, very uh, very exciting slash stressful game against NC State on Wednesday night. They all are. That's, <laughs> they, this is also true. Uh, just an easy game that I don't like freak out about in the last two minutes would be nice. Yeah, I, uh, sign me up for that. And, and by don't freak out, I mean... Like, let me actually be just comfortably winning instead of not freaking out because I've accepted fate. Yeah, that, that too. I, I guess I prefer the freak out to, like, just out, outwardly losing. But, uh, man, 
the way the way it came was just a lot, <laughs> especially because it finally looked like we had like a nice Sunday afternoon just to enjoy the basketball, and then that okay. crazy couple minutes was too much. Yeah, SU, please make this easy. Um, anyway, uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Yes, thank you, uh, thank you for hosting, and and enjoy your uh, Valentine's Day tomorrow. Thank you very much, sir. You as well. Whatever those thank plans you. entail. Watching basketball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.